This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent, and I'm flying solo today uh, to bring you another installment of our interview series. And haha, I am flying solo. Man, what a week. This has been such a crazy and, and you know, kind of mixed review, but mostly exciting week in Star Wars. Uh, we got the, uh, the solo trailer. We finally are finding out what is going on with this movie, which is supposed to come out on May 25th of this year. And it has taken all this time to get any sort of look at the footage or on screen, uh, you know, images from it. Um, it all rolled out on Monday following a teaser that came out Sunday night during the Super Bowl. So this happened on Good Morning America. Solo trailer came out. And I, I think I think most of fandom's pretty excited. Everyone enjoyed what they saw. Lando really stole the show. He didn't say a word that I can recall in the trailer, but every image of Donald Glover's Lando was just, wow, spot on. He looks the part. Um, I, you know, say what you will about the solo movie altogether. Um, my personal opinion is I'm, I'm not super excited about it and I'm not excited about Alden as Han Solo, but everything else in this movie has me really excited. I'm excited to learn about the origin of Lando, a little bit more about the Millennium Falcon and kind of where it comes from, how it got so dirty so quickly, um, and then really like what is this job that Han Solo is going to be working on. But we'll get to that more um, in next week's episode when I'm joined again by Suara and and also to discuss another big thing in Star Wars news, we got another announcement of movies. Uh, yesterday, Lucasfilm and Disney rolled out an announcement of more Star Wars films, a series of movies that are going to be helmed by the duo behind Game of Thrones, uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. So that's a thing. Um, again, I guess, you know, always mixed feelings when it comes to Star Wars reactions. I, you know, I saw this announcement come out the other day. I didn't see a positive react, um, you know, maybe one or two that came in after the fact. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, I guess, reignited the debate over representation in the, in the Star Wars galaxy. Um, got people talking about the fact that, you know, 96% of, of people who have written and directed Star Wars have been white men. Um, I think, you know, people just want to see more perspectives. So we're going to talk about that uh, in upcoming episodes, too, because Suar and I love to talk about the issue of representation. We we disagree on a lot of the um, the ways in which people debate this topic. Um, but I guess we can all come together on the fact that there's a lot to be nervous about here. I, I don't particularly trust uh, Benioff and Weiss. And I also am just sort of feeling like fatigued actually fatigued by the rate of Star Wars announcement in movies. I kind of want them to pump the brakes a little bit, make us want it just a little bit more. 
Um, so a lot to chew on. We'll be getting to that in the coming weeks of Beltway Banthas. But altogether, 2018 is off to a great start. We have already been joined by Kin Liu, um, the author of the Luke Skywalker uh, novels that have just been introduced into canon. Uh, John Liang, our producer, interviewed him for the week before last's episode. And then last week, we were joined by Anthony Bresnikin, the Star Wars reporter-in-chief over at Entertainment Weekly for a pretty rousing discussion on populism in Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and also populism in our real world. We talk about uh, populism's roots uh, going back to the early 20th century and how populist politics played out in the 2016 election. It gets a little bit like not heated at times, but um, it's an elevated discussion. Uh, Anthony is really passionate as are uh, you know, both of us here on this show. So it's sort of made for one of the more engaging conversations I've had a little while with a little bit of, you know, back and forth and tit for tat. And I, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to that if you missed it. Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention was that we have coming up a return to the show by Kristen Soltis Anderson of The Pollsters. She's going to be joining us here in just a couple of weeks, um, I think two weeks to discuss polling and Star Wars and talk about uh, you know how polling and politics relates to sort of what you see with trolls trying to nerf the scores of Star Wars movies like The Last Jedi on Rotten Tomatoes. That's going to be really interesting, and I highly recommend you look out for that. This week, we are joined by Stu Bergier of the Glenn Beck Program uh, and the folks over at Mercury Radio Arts. So Stu is a longtime radio broadcaster uh, who comes from up north. He was born born in Terrytown, New York, and then he ended up working uh, and growing up in Connecticut. Uh, you know, to be a talk show host. And he goes back a long way with Glenn Beck. Yeah, the Glenn Beck, the chalkboard, the theories, all that fun stuff. Uh, and the uh, the inflammatory cuss stuff from the Fox News days, um, all of that. Um, I personally am a big Glenn Beck fan. I listen to his show almost every day when I have some time. Um, his radio program, I've enjoyed a lot more than his TV career. I, I kind of try to tell people about that all the time. I'm like, I didn't like Glenn Beck on TV either, but I've just loved um, his radio endeavors since then. Um, and Stu is hilarious. He's always kind of been, um, you know, Glenn's number two on his programs, offering some comedy and a little bit of a foil to some of Glenn's uh, more bombastic stands uh, and ideas. And it's just sort of a great dynamic. And they've got a lot of history together. So I listen to the show. I've picked up on a lot of Star Wars chatter on their programs. And Stu is a really big fan. He's had me onto the program um, about three or four times now, I think, to discuss Star Wars news, theories, things about The Last Jedi, The Force Awakens, etc. Um, so it was time to get him onto Beltway Banthas. So we had a conversation about his life as a fan. Uh, we start out going through his uh, his career and getting into radio because I want you guys to hear a little bit about where he comes from and who he is and what he does. And then we sort of pivot on over into Star Wars and some of his thoughts and feelings about where the saga has gone and where it is going. It's a lot of fun. He's really fun. And I hope that you stick around to enjoy that whole conversation. But first, housekeeping. So before we get into it, I do have a request of you. Um, tell us how we're doing. You listen to this show weekly. We chat online and banter on Twitter about Star Wars and politics. Maybe you send us emails. Um, tell iTunes about why you enjoy this show. And by iTunes, I guess I mean Apple Podcasts, why you enjoy this show. I don't want to say 
that we're in a rut, but we're in a rut. The audience has been growing for 14 months steadily, and since the new year began, it's really leveled out um, in a way that's you know, kind of been sad to see. And the only way to break through that is to get this show in front of more people and game algorithms so that this show is being fed to people as a recommendation on Apple Podcasts, where the majority of podcast audiences are. And so to get Apple's attention so that they feature Beltway Banthas on the front page, we can do this with an influx of reviews and high ratings. So if you have already reviewed the show, thank you so much. So, 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 so much. Um, next, can you share the show with a friend? Copy a link on our Apple podcast page and post it on your friend from high school's Facebook that you don't talk too much, but maybe you all love Star Wars or something. Um, they'll say thank you later. I'm sure of it. Um, if you haven't, please go in there and do that. Um, just sign in, throw on uh, the review, rate, review, and subscribe so that you're getting more stuff from Beltway Banthas every week. We want to be in your feeds and communicating with you and getting to know you so you can get to know us a little better as well. And we need to get the politics of Star Wars out to more people. It's an important mission, y'all, and I know we can do it. Um, so yeah, that's all the house business. I'm ready to get out of the way. I don't know about you, but I think we should hear from Stu Bergier of the Glenn Beck program. So let's jump into that conversation right now. Stu Bergier, thank you so much for joining Beltway Banthas today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's really nice to have you on. I'm a pretty regular Glenn Beck program listener um, when the morning allows, and I've always loved what you bring to the show in terms of a comedy and a reasonable counterweight to offset Glenn, and also some really strong nerd opinions. Lots of Star Wars chatter to be had if you listen to the Glenn Beck program. So for folks who don't listen and aren't familiar with your backstory, like when did you get into radio and start working with Glenn Beck? Uh, well, it's been a while now. Actually, uh, this uh, this year, right in January, was my 20th year anniversary uh, working with Glenn, which uh, seems completely impossible to me. Uh, <laughs> thinking back at it, it's been a long time. Uh, but yeah, I started with him. He worked at the time. This is before he was a you know this national host and on Fox News and all the things he's done. He was a, a schlub at the local radio station. Um, that played like Britney Spears records every 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's actually where I started working with him. He was um, he was kind of at the end of his career and was not happy doing what he was doing. And um, I was a big fan of, you know, talk radio, both sports talk radio and, and you know, comedy radio and, and news talk at some level. And I wanted to do that. And he was ready to abandon uh, radio pretty much completely at that point. Uh, so he, we kind of started working together and trying to develop a talk show and it kind of turned into something over the past couple of decades. What led you to uh, wanting to be in radio in the first place? Was that sort of an always an obvious track for you? You know, I always wanted to do it since I was a kid. I, I remember we, you know, a friend of mine, uh, we would sit around and, and watch, uh, you know, NBA games and do the play by play into a cassette recorder. You know, we were that you know, we did not have a lot of girlfriends. This was not something that was a, a threat to our existence at the time. So we kind of sat around and, and just, you know, we loved it. We loved listening to it. We loved recording it, making our own shows. And just, we kind of always thought we would get into it eventually. 
And eventually we did. I mean, you know, we both, uh, both he and I wound up working for Glenn at one point. He now runs a, a different website, uh, yeah. Faithwire. But uh, yeah, we, you know, it's, it's kind of, you go back and, you know, it was the type of thing we always wanted to do and never thought that we could get people to actually pay us to do this job that's not really a job. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. here we are. Yep, just sitting here talking. Did you know Glenn when you uh, went to that first studio or did you meet there? Yeah, no, I met him there. He worked at a station called KC 101 and I okay. uh, I got a high level. Tampa, Tampa, right? It was actually before that. It was in Connecticut. Uh, oh, okay. And, and, and I started working there with the high level <laughs> duties of hanging balloons and posters at uh, appearances where, you know, the, the people who actually were on the air would go out and try to like, you know, work at a car dealership and try to sell, you know, cars. It's a, it's a high level industry, obviously. <laughs> and so yeah. it was a lot of, a lot of, uh, balloon hanging, a lot of, uh, giving out stickers. I mean, it was all the really important stuff. And, uh, Glenn was kind of, as I said, he was kind of at the end of his career and no one was showing up to his appearances anymore. So, um, we had a lot of time to just kind of chat. And, you know, when no one would come into the car dealership, we'd sit around and talk about what we wanted to do in, in radio. And he'd ask questions. And he's a, a very good mentor. He was the type of guy who actually cared about, you know, the people getting into the industry because yeah. he loved the industry. and He got in super young. So, it was, you know, we always had a kind of a good chemistry working together. And it's been a really, really crazy fun journey. Well, that's what I love so much about all of y'all over at the Blaze and Mercury Radio Arts is just sort of how far back you go. Um, and there's, there's, there's all that history there. And I, I was sort of curious, you mentioned earlier, like when you, you were working with Glenn, you didn't really realize where this was headed. When did you sort of sense that you were working with a guy who was sort of riding on or building a rocket ship to national prominence? Because there's a, a big jump off point here when you're mentioning the end of his radio career. Yeah, it was it was it was an interesting mix uh, of a of a person because you know he was he he started in radio when he, you know he was like thirteen he won a contest you know so he had been in radio for twenty years doing almost exclusively FM morning show type of radio you know sort of the the old morning zoo he used to do and you know kind of went through that whole thing in the eighties and the nineties and so his his shelf life in that career in his own mind had come to an end because he, you know, Glenn is a very, you know, well-read guy and, and he, uh, he's, he's sort of a nerd. Um, and he had gone through, uh, that world, that FM morning show world is not a nerd's world. It's a, it's a cool guy's world and none of us are cool. (laughs) So he had gone through that period where he was forcing you know, trying to be cool and, and, and playing with the latest trends and, and, you know, knowing all the lingo and, and kind of being acting younger and, uh, and more, probably more shallow than he was, uh, yeah. you know, that's cause that's what you do in that business. You know, you, you're trying to make people laugh, you know, they're in the car for 15 minutes on the way to work and that's what the business is. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, he got sick of it, right? You do it for 20 years and, and you start thinking, I want to do something else. I want to do something more meaningful. So he had kind of, thought to himself, you know, he was at the a period where he thought maybe I'll leave radio completely. And, and his dad was a baker and he's like, maybe I'll open a bakery. He was like at that point. Um, but his dad actually at the time talked to him about, Hey, you know, you've got this gift. You, he, you know, Glenn had made a lot of money and lost a lot of money in radio. He had been number one in all these big markets. He has, you know, a lot of talent and he, you know, why not try talking about the things you do care about instead of being silly on the radio and introducing Britney Spears every five minutes, why not yeah. try to you know think about what you want the world to be and, and start talking about it? 
So it was right around that time where I came in. You know, New Haven, Connecticut is not uh, a big market for radio. So there's not a lot of people who have been monumentally successful in the industry that go through New Haven. Um, he was. I mean, he had been one of the top hosts in the country already in a different format. And he was at the point in New Haven where he wanted to do something else. I wanted to do something else, too. So it kind of came together really at the right time. It was it was it was, uh, you know, it was certainly uh, fortuitous for us to kind of come together and, and have that opportunity. Yeah, it really seems that way. Uh, the force brings us together. Um, yes. <laughs> just 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 how it's meant to be. You know, so he ends up going on to TV. You go with him, correct? Yeah, I've worked uh, pretty much with him, you know, that entire time since I got into radio. Yeah, uh, we, so you were a, a producer for him at that time. So yes, I started television. Yeah, I started out a produ as a producer. I, I, you know, hosted shows myself as well. And, and we went and did the radio thing. We got the national syndication radio deal. Um, and it, uh, a couple years, I guess that's, you know, four, four or five years after that, we got on CNN Headline News where we had a show yeah. um, for a couple years, which did pretty well, which that got us the Fox deal. And, uh, you know, once you're on, I mean, Fox is, you know, for it's just such a huge platform, you know, so many people are there. And, you know, it, once you get there, it's just, you know, everything sort of blows up. It's, it's, you know, everything you say is more important. Every mistake you make is magnified. You know, every, every good break you have people, more people love it. And every thing, time you screw up, everyone hates you. It's a fun, it's a fun life. I'll say that. Yeah, well, y'all have had your uh, your fair share of fun, a lot of exposure. Um, I think a lot of people in our audience, uh, it's pretty mixed. We actually ha have brought over a lot of folks, um, you know, from the Blaze who have you know heard me come on to your show and mm -hmm. Glenn's show, who now listen to us. But we also have a lot of people who I think the only exposure that they've had um, to you and to Glenn Becker is basically through the filter of John Stewart several years back. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's I think I love trying to introduce people to the folks who are doing that work over there. Now this is kind of where I, I pivot a little bit. To to the Star Wars side. So yes. you do politics and entertainment uh, as, as a person in radio. Do you care more about culture or politics? What is the thing that like really gets you going? And, and what do you sort of bring from your upbringing in terms of a, a priority when it comes to those two? Uh, I, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, everyone likes culture more, right? I think, uh, you know, politics is something... I think is really important. And, you know, there are a lot of th a lot of issues mashed up in that that I think that are really important. I mean, you know, people's freedom is at stake. These are real things. Right. I mean, governments have done really terrible things to people, uh, both in Star Wars and here. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's the type of thing that I, I find to be interesting and very important. Um, you know, it's hard to beat watching freaking Star Wars, though, right? I mean, like, that's what I think everybody likes to do. And, you know, as I talk about politics every day, it's hard not to see those parallels. I mean, that's what I think is really interesting about what you guys do. You know, it, it, you're bringing those things together. And there's such a natural intersection between these two worlds uh, that I think you, you know, one of the things we've one of the things I think we've done over the years that has helped. Uh, you know, take, you know, the show from some show on in New Haven to, you know, the, the things that it's been, been able to accomplish is doing things like boiling down difficult topics into things that people recognize from culture, you know, taking, yeah. uh, you know, explaining a, a complicated political issue with Star Wars references seems flippant and seems like it's, you know, just some silly way to illustrate it. But it, it's it's a way of getting something that might be boring as hell to somebody who might not otherwise listen to it. 
And, you know, that is, you know, anyone can come on and do, uh, you know, C-SPAN talk and, and you can get the nine people in Washington who want to watch it. It's, it's harder to get that, I think, message to a lot of people who don't live that in that world. And the, those cultural intersections are really effective in getting people to kind of understand that and open their mind to these concepts. Ooh, that was meaty. We'll circle back around to that. I want to know when did <laughs> when did Star Wars begin for you? What was your first experience that you remember? Because um, I imagine you must have been too young actually for a New Hope theater experience. Um, for me, I have very spotty memories about when I started engaging in Star Wars. It, it's kind of like later in my life, really. Um, what about for you? Yeah, I was born in 1976, uh, so. Uh, you know, I don't remember seeing any of the first three, maybe Return of the Jedi, but I don't actually remember it. I may have seen Return of the Jedi in the theaters, but I don't remember yeah. seeing, I don't remember a theater experience with the first three. You know, I just remember watching them over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, as you go through, you start the process of ranking them and you start the process <laughs> of, you know, you, you have your favorite parts, your favorite lines. Um, and, uh, and then when the prequels came out it was right around that time where I was starting out in radio yeah. in a top 40 environment. Right. So, you know, it was the cultural phenomenon. I mean, Phantom Menace was, we talked about it for months before it came out on the air. Were I you mean, firmly on board the hype train or pretty skeptical at that point at that time in your fandom? Oh, fully on board the hype train. Well, <laughs> I mean, I was pumped about it. I saw a midnight uh, showing that night. I mean, I was, you know, I was into it. And, you know, I, you know, the prequels obviously get their uh, share of beating and, and, and much of it, I think, is deserved. But, you know, I mean, it was it was such a big deal. I, I think now with these movies coming out every year, people lose sight of what that gap was. Yeah. And the gap between Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace was like, you never, th I mean, for most of that time, I didn't think we'd ever see another Star Wars movie. I mean, it was, we were told that there was never going to be another one. You know, he had initially planned to do nine of them, but that's it. He's done with three. And that was it. And, and it was something I, you know, I pretty much believed that was it. And all of a sudden you heard those rumblings and, you know, that, that buildup was real and I was really excited about it. Where um, did, where did, so where did rumors trickle out back then? This is kind of like a dumb question that only a millennial would ask because <laughs> I, I live on Twitter and the internet yeah. uh, and you know, you get all these junk entertainment websites who are always sort of pumping the rumor mill. Where did the hype train sort of begin in the nineties when there was rumors about this stuff? Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's weird because I have, I, I'm at that age where I can remember as a child, no internet. Right. I mean, like, you know, there was nothing. Um, and, and as it was about this time, I mean, I had been in on, on the internet for several years before Phantom Menace came out, but still it wasn't the gener the generator of hype. It wasn't like it is now. Yeah. And I think at some level there is something that made the, the hype for something like this more powerful back then because there was much less to compete with it. You know, now everything's hyped all the time. Things are leaking out all the time. You're always getting a little bit, of, you know, you're getting fed a little bit towards whatever you're interested in. And it's, you know, the, the hype train is spread out to so many different sources and so many different interests that, you know, it, it's, it's completely different. I mean, Phantom Menace, that was it. I mean, that was the movie. Everyone knew it was going to be a top five movie of all time when it came out. Everyone knew the, the appetite for it was so incredibly strong. And, you know, of course, you know, I'm not that old, Stephen. I mean, you know, they had television. 
they had radio, <laughs> we had electricity back in those days. Um, oh, but you know, but it, it, it's true. It's like, you know, that's where you got it. I mean, there, you'd watch TV shows and there'd be news stories about it. You'd read the paper. I mean, these, you know, these things still existed back then. Um, and it was, I mean, it really built up. I mean, doing radio in that era, we were a big source of it. I mean, we, you know, every little rumor we could dig up every, every little, you know, blurb you could get from somebody talking about the movie, you played it, you talked about it, people called in about it. I mean, it was really before that movie, uh, Phantom Menace came out, it's probably the most hype for any movie that I can remember in my lifetime. I mean, it so was that big. When you walk out of the theater, are you pretty excited? Did you like it? I I, I imagine that you are a, a Jar Jar Binks cynic uh, with <laughs> a majority of the country. But I'm curious, like, so when you came out, did you love it? Did it meet your expectations? And sort of when did, um, I guess, the rosy lenses sort of come off? And what do you view now as like the positives and pluses of the prequels or the positives and the, the cons of the prequels? Well, to be clear, I'm an everything cynic, not just a Jar Jar cynic. So, that's true. Uh, My apologies. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I didn't walk out of there loving it. You know, I, I, I wanted it. I have this thing that I do every once in a while that I get super excited over a movie. And I, did, I have this self-determination, and I've done it many times, that this movie either has to be the greatest movie of all time or it's a disappointment. Those are the only two options. Yeah. Uh, most yeah. recently, it was... Uh, the uh, what was that movie? Um, uh, something blonde that just came out. <laughs> I mean, oh, uh, Atomic Blonde. Uh, Atomic Blonde. I've just I decided before Atomic Blonde came out that it was either going to be the greatest movie of all time or a disappointment. I don't yeah. know how this thing happens. I get I get totally sucked in by the advertising. Apparently, um, wow, you're a sucker. Yeah, totally. Um, and you know it was okay. Atomic Blonde. <laughs> uh, but you know, I so I was at that point of like, you think if he's bringing this movie back after seemingly years and years of promising not to, and with all, with endless resources to do this. And, you know, you, you really thought it was going to be as good as the original three plus amazing technology. You know, you'd get, you know, you still go back and you watch the original three movies and, you know, the, it's not exactly, you know, impressive technologically today, though the movies hold up incredibly well. Uh, you know, I thought you'd get both of those things. And I and leaving there, I, what I thought I got was really great technology, but a movie that was clearly below the other ones. That being said, I'm so interested in the story. I still enjoyed it. I can still go back and watch the sequels. I've made the argument for a long time. I think there's an hour and 35 minute version of Attack of the Clones that is amazing. Like, yeah. I, I think like there is a little bit too much in there and there's a, there's several scenes that if I you could just delete, I feel like there's actually a really good movie there, um, you know. And so I, I don't think the prequels are a complete waste. I don't I don't throw them away that like a lot of people do, um, but it's still, you know, it 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 left me to a point where when the, the prequels went away and we had that lull again. And Force Awakens is is starting to you know ramp up, it, you know I felt I felt like we needed almost like a, a saving of the series. Like I, I was at that point of, you know I liked the you know the, I loved the original three, the prequels, you know they were serviceable. I still like to watch them, but it, it it needed it needed a rejuvenation, and I I thought it accomplished that when it came out. Just one more thing on the prequels. You were doing, uh, you know, radio. You're doing in broadcasting and politics at this time. 
What did you think about the politics of these movies? And was that a barrier to you for liking them? Because there's so much commentary and and hype around, you know, the movies as some sort of liberal manifesto and the, you know, like an anti-Bush sort of thing. Did you pick up on that? Or do you think that that was um, something that was sort of driven by the media? You know, I mean, I, and there's certainly evidence, uh, you know, a lot of people believe, uh, you know, that there's a lot of, you know, sort of polit- political messaging. It was in that era and it was consistent with the era of uh, of Hollywood, the, the politics of Hollywood at that time. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, you know, the pushing back against the, the giant war machine type of uh, uh, narrative was was big, obviously, when Bush was in office. Um, I. I tend to really like um, to to avoid uh, the. I don't want to ruin my movies by bringing in politics that annoy me. You know, I think I can find politics that annoy me almost every everywhere. My I literally get paid to be annoyed by politics. That is <laughs> is actually True. my job. So I mean, I can find. You know, I can look far enough and find political messaging everywhere. You know, an example I use is um, uh, is the Purge, uh, that series that has come out the last few years, which is a series I you know kind of like. I like horror movies. I actually actually kind of like those movies too in a very very strange way. It's not typically my thing, but the Purge is interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because they they have combined politics with a, sort of a horror uh, world, and I think you can very easily. Uh, find and I'm sure the people who made the movie found um, with this idea of the new founders and how they're killing all the poor people that you essentially find in that. And I'm sure they intended like this is the height of the Tea Party. We're going to show what would happen if the Tea Party people took over. This is these are the horrible things that they would do. Yeah. And I think that's a completely valid analysis of what they did and probably what they intended. Though you know, as a person who's looked at history and seen this over the years. It also works incredibly well with early 20th century progressives. Uh, When you go to the eugenics movement, when you look at it that way, you can see that exact same thing. You could you Glenn Beck absolutely could have written the purge. You know, like it's like if if wiped out the founders and said, we're the new founders and came up with all their new laws. It it absolutely works in that context. And I think, you know, I, I, I watching the prequels. I never got a heavy sense. I mean, there's scenes here and there um, where you you'll see politics, but you know, I you know, you can find it and take it. I think a bunch of different ways, um, and yeah. you know, I, and it would never bowl me over so much that I couldn't enjoy it. It does occasionally happen with movies, but but never with Star Wars. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting what you say because there's something I say often about uh, the prequels in particular, which is that when a a liberal filmmaker goes out to make his his liberal opus. He mm-hmm. ends up kind of making the case for liberty. Um, you know, yeah. you can make, you can attempt to make a movie with that message, but then, you know, people like I think you and I receive the movie as the exact reasoning for the opposite, and then we kind of walk, we walk away happy too. We yeah. walk away going, oh, okay, that movie actually kind of spoke to something I believe, and everyone. And then we just sort of fight about who owns the movie more, right? Uh, and, and I love that, right? I mean, that's that's a great part of these movies that you could sit here and fight about it. You know, the whole idea of you know how does liberty, you know, this how liberty dies with thunderous applause has been used by every party in 
every oh circumstance since, so it, since, since it happened. And, you know, I mean, it is kind of frustrating, but in a way it's, it's kind of uh, interesting. And I think, you know, part of this goes to uh, the idea that like you go back and you look at, um, you know, obviously like World War II history, for example, and you see, uh, you know, the Nazis and obviously there's a lot of parallels that you could make. Um, with fascism and, and the Nazis when it when it ties into Star Wars. And so many people see that as this big right wing movement. And, you know, that's completely foreign to me because, you know, really, I see uh, the right wing as a small government movement. And there's never been anything, more, you know, more opposed to small government than Adolf Hitler and Darth Vader, right? I mean, like these are people that are really interested in controlling every aspect of your life. This is a big entity that wants to make sure you do exactly what they say you do when they say uh, you're going to do it. Yeah, you know, George Lucas you know, is fundamentally, he's he's said it in an interview with Time that he believes in the idea of, of benevolent dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't really believe democratic systems work. And, and when Anakin is speaking to Padme in the field in episode two, he is saying, exactly what George Lucas thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, people should get into a room and if they can't agree, well, then they should be made to and I'm going to do that. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of like him laughing at sort of his own political id in a way. And, you know, I, I like that you mentioned the thunderous applause line because, you know, that of course comes up um, most recently, like kind of in the Trump inauguration period. So mm-hmm. Donald Trump is elected president. He's being inaugurated. I hop on Twitter and actually on election night and inauguration in January. And my feed is just filled with <laughs> with Padme gifts yeah. of, of that scene. But then at the same time, CNN is kind of dissecting the crowd size numbers of his inauguration being like, nobody's here. And so I, I look at that and I go, all right, so liberals feel like they've lost. They're now using Star Wars as sort of a means to communicate that they feel badly and that they are uh, outnumbered. But in fact, this is a very unpopular president. And for you to be Palpatine, you have to be popular. Like you actually have to have people adoring and loving and believing you. Donald Trump did not have that. He didn't win the majority. He didn't win the popular vote. The Republicans in Congress don't like him. And nobody showed up for his inauguration in comparison (laughs) to Barack Obama with a packed field of celebrities and people crying about him <laughs> becoming yeah. president. And so it's it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, you just see what you want to see with this stuff. Yeah. I mean, Star Wars is used as a weapon. <laughs> it's true. But, you know, and that's true. The same thing happened, though, when Barack Obama was being elected and he was going through, even though he did have the, the, the gigantic crowd the same line was used and, and, you know, people beat up on the seat on the prequels. And, and I think, again, it's fair at some level, but it's like that line has survived. How many presidents, you know, how many, how many situations has that served? Again, it's annoying and it's somewhat, uh, you know, cliche, but I mean, that's, it's it's a strength. Yeah. Yeah, It shows the effect these movies have on people. And again, it's a great way of illustrating it. Whether you believe in Barack Obama or you believe in Donald Trump, and you hate the other one, whichever way you fall in that in that bandwagon, you should always see that cheering on some guy who is saying he has the perfect message and is going to control everything is a really bad idea. It applies to Republicans. It applies to Democrats. The better idea is to have somebody who isn't all powerful and isn't responsible for everything in your world. And, you know, I think that that line for as much as it's used and probably used inaccurately 
really does crystallize that. We wind up getting in these moments where we're just cheering these things on as if nothing can go wrong. And as you may have noticed, even as a millennial in your limited years, everything always does go wrong. Uh, so with, with, at least with government, no, uh, I mean, so. that's, that's, what's great about star Wars though. It, it, it condenses sort of like you could hand somebody a book by John Locke, or you could just show them revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And if, as long as you internalize Liberty dies with thunderous applause, you have learned a, a huge philosophical lesson in that, in that five second clip, mm-hmm. um, which is all you need to take away from a book you might read on political philosophy. Um, but moving forward a little bit, so Star Wars is revamped. Uh, for me, this is the 10-year period where I thought Star Wars was over and I kind of moved on with my life. Um, it mm-hmm. might have been for the best, but here we are um, back, <laughs> <laughs> back in it. But The Last Jedi um, has come out now. Mm-hmm. You were not too kind on The Force Awakens, is my understanding of your reception of that movie. Um, how are you feeling about The Last Jedi in relation to The Force Awakens? Because you kind of felt like that was a, a rehash and a, a safe formula for a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I did do an extended monologue, um, basically accusing it, uh, accusing The Force Awakens of being not a sequel, but a remake. A re- essentially the exact same movie except shifted characters. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's somewhat tongue in cheek because I, I would say this, you know, I actually really liked The Force Awakens. So, I, you know, that I, I think it basically was a remake of, of, of A New Hope, but, you know, it's a great freaking movie, you know. I mean, I I love I love the original. So, the idea that they didn't really expand on on things all that much is a little bit of a negative. But I, I, I should be clear on this: I really liked that movie a lot. It's still, um, you know, okay. It, it had a uh, it had a uh, you know that that uh, aura of of like kind of saving the series to me. Is this thing going to tank and we're going to get a bunch of really crappy churned out sequels and this thing is going to no longer be the special thing it was as a kid? Or are we going to turn this around to something I'm still going to midnight showings on every single time they come out? And I felt like that brought me back to midnight showing world. So I I, I don't want to bash it too much. I, 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 you know, I had fun with it, but I I think overall I really liked that movie. Um, And I really liked Rogue One as well. Um, you know, uh, Last Jedi came out. I I was there again, opening night. Um, you know, I, it was an in- I had an interesting relationship with it. I think, you know, I I went in very excited about it, um, high hopes. I felt like there were uh, moments that really just didn't work for me. You know, some of the comedy in it, I, I felt it kind of fell flat. Uh, you know, some of the stranger scenes. There's a lot of things in it. And I assume we're in spoiler. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we can spoil whatever we want here. I would cut, assume. Cut loose. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, Leia floating through space, and you know, uh, Luke milking the weird creature, and all of the standard sort of complaints uh, that I think people have thrown out there. I have, I have my problems with it, but I left the movie thinking, you know, that was good. To me, not my favorite of the of this sort of new wave of movies. But, you know, it was OK. And then I had a couple weeks, I got to be honest, where I I, I soured on it in, in yeah. sort of a big way. I, I, you know, I kept all I could think about were the problems. All I could think about were the scenes I didn't like. You know, uh, you know, why is this locksmith sleeping in the jail cell when he could break out at any moment? Like, why? Why is he just sitting? I don't understand that. And there's a lot of those type, type of moments. Because that just that just seems like human nature. That seems to be something we do these days more yeah. than ever. 
is just sit here and like dwell on these benign and sort of silly things like why a guy was in jail and you yeah. know we would, we would have never questioned the old movies like this yeah and i think that's that's true there's certainly those things that happen but you know as we as we as time goes on you kind of expect them you know you know when you're talking about a movie that's coming out it's hard to get made you finally get the thing made and and, and it becomes this phenomenon you expect there to be some some issues with it when you've had you know 30 years to know that this is the biggest movie of all time and and how people are going to obsess over it, I expect those things to be solved, right? I, I, I don't, it's hard for me to understand why some of those things would happen. And some of them wind up being explained later, as we saw in Rogue One, uh, you know, some of these things uh, wind up being explained later and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I, I decided I wanted to go back and see it again because I, I, I felt I had turned to a point where I kind of didn't like it. Um, yeah. and so I decided to go back and see it again. And when I, ha- by the time I had gone back, I had priced in sort of all of these f- scenes that I didn't really care for, or, you know, like I didn't fully understand why they occurred and went back and watched it really more as a movie, as something I really wanted to enjoy. And the second time I walked out really liking it, you know, I thought, you know, it's not my favorite. I think I like the force awakens better. Um, I probably like rogue one a little bit better. So I kind of graded it in as sort of the mid-range of Star Wars films. Not clearly not as as good as the originals, which I don't know if you could ever beat Empire Strikes Back for number one. Um, but uh, you know, I liked it, and you know, it it wasn't there. The, it has its issues, um, but it, it's it's. I thought a generally speaking, an entertaining movie. I like a lot of it. I, you know, obviously the action scenes are fantastic. The technology continues to improve. It wasn't like in some of the prequel scenes where you're like, that's obviously a digital thing walking by. You know, we've lost that now. You can really be immersed in those movies. And, you know, look, I, it's, it's not my favorite of all time, but, you know, I would definitely it's a middle of the pack thing and a middle of the pack yeah. thing for, for Star Wars is freaking really good. Yeah, I think that is uh, very true. And you, you and I shared sort of the same experience of souring on it pretty quickly. And then once you go back in with sort of knowledge of what bothered you, you ignore it the next time and you get to the meat of the movie to just enjoy it. Because the first time is an exercise in your expectations uh, being shattered and being broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like having Luke drink from the teat of a weird animal and <laughs> slobbering the blue milk. I mean, it, it really, it's funny because they sort of, they take that iconic blue milk thing and they turn it into something ugly which is the point i guess i mean it's it's yeah. luke luke is a now a gross old man and you're going to see now where that blue milk comes from uh it's not pretty yeah um, as is star wars today <laughs> yeah yeah no and i think that's you know they did a lot of those things and and some of them worked i felt like some of them didn't you know we i, I actually was uh, listening to uh, one of your previous episodes where you're talking about uh, the casino planet uh oh, situation um yeah and it was you know a really interesting conversation and and uh, i encourage people to go back and listen to it um you know and it was one of those things where i, I you know i thought you know here they are kind of you know blaming uh, you know, you're vilifying the rich planet who's selling all the arms to both sides. And, you know, I, I definitely you get the political messaging in that. I mean, there's always going to be some political messaging in those sorts of uh, in those sorts of things. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, I uh, I look at that and, and you know, you, it's a weird thing to look at, you know, whether these guys I mean, that whole storyline was kind of a little bit 
it didn't seem to really have an ending, right? Like they went there and kind of came back and what they did really didn't make a big difference in the, in the plot. No, um, it did not. <laughs> it, it was kind of like, it felt, it felt like there were several things like that in the movie that were distractions. Like, you know, the whole thing with uh, not telling Poe Dameron what the plan was. Now, yeah. that certainly adds to the drama of the movie because you're wondering, okay, this, you know, she must be terrible. She must be a bad guy because she's not telling our hero here uh, what the heck is going on. And there wasn't really a reason for it. She just was a good guy and all of a sudden kind of turned around and liked him. And there's a lot of those types of moments where I felt frustrated. But again, it's freaking Star Wars and I love Star Wars. So you yeah, excuse a lot. I think. That, that was bizarre with like uh, with with Poe and Holdo. And then he <laughs> pulls a mutiny and then she's just sort of it cuts to them. Uh, she's smoothing his hair out and he's like, oh, he's got a good heart. I like him. Yeah, that was really (laughs) jarring. I was like, what? He he pulled a gun on you and and like, this is not a moment where you go, I kind of like him. He's, he's a nice guy. Yeah. Like it was a very contrived rivalry that they didn't even have to have. Didn't have to have. Right. And it felt, it, it felt like I actually watching it even back the second time, it almost felt like there was another scene that they deleted because it was, it went from, they hate each other too. She really admired him the whole time with like really no transition, no hinting that there was any respect there whatsoever. Uh, so that was a, a bit, a bit strange. Um, you know, I, 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 overall, you know, I mean, I, I, that whole, the arc is a strange one because really what's happening is here's a small ship that can go kind of slightly faster than the other one, but not fast enough to get away. So it's just kind of sitting out of range. And that's really most of the movie. <laughs> I mean, you have got, we, we it can hit very them. world war two. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah. It was very, I mean, between like the bombing sequence in the very beginning and then the slow ship chasing after another slow ship <laughs> was just very like they were making sort of a classic war film. But then you remember like, I mean, come on, can't we just like send out a smaller ship to get out in front of this thing? Like it's right. a giant superstar destroyer. Yeah. Um, but no, I think with the, the Poe and Holdo conflict is really nice to highlight because it, it seems to me that we as a, as a people of viewers focus on the wrong things. After that whole dynamic, we debate about gender politics and we sort of lump it into the conversation of the time about uh, male and female relationships, particularly in the workplace. This is sort of where the reviews went in terms of the Poe-Holdo conflict, mm-hmm. that it's a gender politics thing. But at the end of the day, it was just a dynamic about communication and talking to people more and being more trusting of others. Um, it had nothing to do with gender. I mean, like at the end of the day, Poe wanted Holdo out for Leia to be back in charge, another woman. <laughs> it was just about distrust. And, and we sort of like take it and we just, again, like it, we twist these scenes in these movies um, into something that they never really were meant to be. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, they, all he wanted was Leia and it was nothing to do with gender. It had to do with who he was you know, comfortable with. Uh, you know, he wasn't comfortable with her. And why should he have been for no reason? He, she, she turned him into a villain. Uh, you know, here's a guy who has uh, done quite a lot for the movement and uh, really for no particular reason turned turned him into uh, 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 it created a conflict where there really wasn't there didn't need to be one. You know, and I think that's true. I mean, I, I you know. You know, going back to the, you know, the the casino planet there, it's like, you know, can you as you guys were talking about, like you can read into that, that it's a just a shot at capitalism. But I mean, I know and I think you're the same way. That's not how I see capitalism at all. You know, capitalism to me is something that's positive. Uh, it's something that's uh, freed, you know, 
billions. It's something that has been the best uh, answer we've had to turn around what was honestly a freaking miserable place for a long time. <laughs> you know, I mean, and you go back a couple hundred years and, and things get really, really dark uh, in this world. And here we are with things kind of improving all the time. I mean, there's this great stat um, about the, the way we've you know been able to alleviate poverty in this world. And here, you, you know, you hear a lot about income inequality and gender inequality and all of these things we complain about all the time. You know, every day, the stat is it's over 17,000 kids, children around the world are alive every day that just 20 years ago were dead. Just 20 years ago. We're talking about an entire millions and millions of children that are now fed, that now have basic, you know, water needs and, and medical needs. All these things have happened. So when I see you know, um, a lot of people taking that as a shot at capitalism, it very well might be, right? From the people who are putting it together, they may well hate capitalism. They tried, yeah. <laughs> strange, strange thing from a multi-billion dollar franchise, but I'll, uh, I'll leave that one on the side. Uh, but, you know, that is, you know, it's a totally different world when you're talking about what capitalism really is. And, you know, you got to price that in as, as, a, as a libertarian or a conservative going to the movies. You know you're going to get annoying Hollywood messaging. You know that's going to happen. The question yeah, is- well, can If you, the people at Canto Bite were truly capitalists, they wouldn't even have child laborers working for them. They would have uh, put, in that, put that work on over to droids so they wouldn't have uh, anybody uh, messing up their margins or doing bad work. They could just have droids taking care of the stables. Why do they even have kids working for them in the first place? Exactly. It, make, it makes no sense. It's just, <laughs> it's just exploitation for the sake of exploitation. And uh, I got to say too, by the way, it, it, the worst people on earth- uh, you know, they're supposed to be the worst people on earth, yet they're selling weapons to both sides. Now, look, I'm not saying that if you're selling weapons to both sides, you're a good person. I'm not saying that this is necessarily a good outcome. But aren't the people who are buying the weapons from the casino people and then shooting them at you worse than the people who are also selling you your defensive weapons? I, I, I got to say, you know, just be, yes, I know they've imprisoned some some horse like creatures that you really like, but I don't think that they're the worst people on Earth on Earth. They have to be at least the second worst in the galaxy because the other yeah. people are shooting things and blowing up planets at you. So I, I think they're worse. Yeah, it's it's kind of just strange because there's not really a political constituency out there of people who love war profiteering. <laughs> uh, libertarians and free marketeers in particular don't really believe in that uh, as a principle. I mean, somebody has to make weapons, um, right. but it's not like in a capitalistic society is the only society that engages in warfare. If it was yeah. the opposite kind of society, some sort of communist society, uh, they would just be government contractors uh, <laughs> taking out that work with zero competition from other people. People also at Canto. Yeah. And, and explain, explain to me if I'm overthinking this here. Uh, but, you know, I thought a little bit of the magic of the dark side was taken away with that narrative of they're buying weapons from these rich people. It's like, I don't know, you go back to the Death Star, you go back to, uh, you know, I, I think of here is this evil organization, right? And they are able to do these amazing technological things to try to wipe out the other side. They're all doing it. And then we're like, oh, no, they just happen to have a lot of money and they're going to, um, you know, the eBay of laser beams. And it's yeah. like, well, I, mean, I feel like that's a to try to force that point in, you almost take away a little bit from 
you know, that 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 vibe the dark side has. And I don't know. I thought that hurt. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it helped in some ways because with with the empire, what I try to remember is that that is a a actual government um, in the business of governing, taking in things like taxes and then spending on projects, things like the Death Star. The First Order is a paramilitary organization. Mm -hmm. They are a terrorist group. They're not governing anything. So like they are conquering worlds in the galaxy, but they're not then leaving people to then run those planets and those territories. They're on a a just sort of a spree of terror and destruction. Mm-hmm. So it does kind of make sense to me that they have to be different. They have to be funded by willing participants in terror. That's why I kind of like whenever I see Canto Bite, I think Saudi Arabia. I don't think Wall Street. I think something about that aesthetic and the way that it looks. I think about Saudi weapons dealers who mm-hmm. are complicit in terrorism um, because they're going to be rich no matter what. And it just sort of seems like we fall into these weird patterns of defending things that don't need to be defended, um, particularly with Canto Bite and capitalism. I, I mean, that's a, that's a fair point. I mean, I think, you know, the, another uh, movie that kind of tells this sort of story um, is uh, – have you ever seen that Nicolas Cage movie, Lord of War? Yes. Um, yes, it's yes. Super loosely based on a true story. Um, you know, of a guy who's who's selling weapons to both sides in African civil wars and all across uh, all across the world, and you know that that's not a that's not a capitalist. Like I, you know, I'm always people always talk about this like, oh, the uh, libertarian uh, paradise of Somalia. They have no government. That is not what libertarianism is. I mean, <laughs> you know, every person you talk to about a you know that is a libertarian or a constitutional conservative, I mean, constitution is actually in the name. Constitution makes you think maybe there's a government there, right? And it has limitations. It's just a limited government. It's a government that's not involved in every single aspect of your life. Oh my it's- gosh, that that reminds me actually what you said of uh, in the Crystal Skull, Indiana Jones, the Crystal <laughs> Skull. Um, in the very beginning, Indiana Jones is betrayed by his friend and sold out to the Russians, and he goes, "Why, Mac?" And his Mac says. Well, Jonesy, I'm a capitalist and they uh, pay. And uh, I'm just going, wait, wait, you're a capitalist? You <laughs> about your friend who you've had <laughs> all these years of history with. And that's the reason. And George Lucas and Steven Spielberg made this movie. And so that's, of course, the, the message they're saying. And I'm going, no, Jonesy, you're you're a traitor. You're a bad friend. Right. Uh, and you don't particularly have any allegiance to the United States. That doesn't make you a Capitalist. <laughs> Capitalist is just like the scary word. And it's like, uh, you know, it's the black book of communism where 100 million people are dead. Uh, it's not the black book of capitalism that killed 100 million people. Uh, you know, it's 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 such a strange way. And I will say with, the, with Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, I had the same uh, feeling um, where I went in and I, and I, you know, I don't think I like that that much. And over the next few weeks, again, like I just I thought, you know, I really I really don't like that. There was a lot of problems with it. And I have never turned around on that at all. <laughs> I, oh, that's fine. That movie sucks to me. I don't know. That's fine. I actually tried rewatching it the other week. I, I watched it uh, two times in two days. Wow. And, and I, I just loved the middle of the movie. There's, there's this good part in the beginning. 
then the meat of it is good, and then it just goes off the freaking rails. Um, you know, I've tried it's, to it's, erase it. I've tried to erase <laughs> it from my memory. I can't go that deep with you, but I'll, I'll believe you. I'll believe your taste. Oh man, I know. I will. Uh, I'll let you off the hook with that one. And um, no, I really appreciate your time. I want to try to get across the finish line here with just some quick um, one-off questions about Star Wars. Sure. So, who's your favorite character? Wow, that's a great question. Um, favorite character? I mean, that's a jeez. Oh, I'm trying to think here. I, this is the, I'm going to be. A, this is like you know, on my permanent record now. Whatever I say, people yeah, will definitive. always know. It's a definitive thing. It'll be on my Wikipedia page for years and years to come. Yes. Uh, you know, I probably go. I probably go Han Solo there. Okay. Um, you know, I could, you know, you could, there's, there's other ways I could go, but I mean, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to beat him. You know, it, it is really hard to, to go past yeah. Han. So I'll, I'll go Han Solo. And even though I feel like it's a little, it's a little cliche and I'd like to go something a little <laughs> bit more nerdy, I'll, I'll, I'll go with Han. Well, let me give you an opportunity to do that. So why don't we break this down in the trilogies? What about the prequel trilogy? Who's a character who you actually find really compelling and enjoy in those series of movies? Because for me, it's definitely Qui-Gon Jinn. Like he was the character, like Darth Maul, who was squandered very early. I'm sad to see him go so early in the trilogy that really needs that character and that performance by that actor. Um, I think Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi is is pretty much flawless. Yep. Um, he does a great job, but he didn't quite get me as much as I think Qui-Gon did and his sense of the Jedi's problems and all that. So I've always been... Qui-Gon, Han Solo, and now I'm pretty firmly on the Kylo Ren train in terms of a favorite character in each trilogy. Yeah, I I, I would say um I would I would tend to agree with that. I mean Han, I, I would say for sure. Um, you know, I I probably I could go Qui-Gon as well, probably. I you know, I, I can't I I see those movies as as disappointing. He's um yeah. yeah, but I do like I you know there are great performances in them. It's, it's hard. You get lost in like, Hey, that kid isn't a good actor. And, you know, you know, like, but I mean, it's kind of unfair to the rest of that. It's, it's, it's an, those movies are all uneven to me. And that's, uh, yeah. So Qui-Gon I think is, is a solid choice, uh, there. I would say, um, for the new ones, what was your, who did you go with again? You went with, uh, I'm, I am now sold on Kylo Ren. Um, I kind of echo Ben Shapiro's take on this, which is that like after the force awakens, there was nothing to like about Kylo Ren. And then after the last Jedi with a full performance with a mask off and sort of a, a very complicated villain, there's so much to like in him now. And the last Jedi really solidified that for me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm kind of partial to the mask on, uh, Kylo and I that's probably uh, I don't know if that's was, sacrilegious in some way it was, it was a badass look I mean it was a badass look the, they did <laughs> such a good job with the with the sound of the voice and it, I mean I know people just compared it to Darth Vader because he's wearing a mask and he's got the you know the deep voice yeah, that's and, the point <laughs> yeah, and that's the point obviously um, but also you know it's okay it, I, I, you know there's something about him as an actor where I see his look is a little too like Backstreet Boy for me as yeah. a mean guy with the mask on. I'm I'm a hundred percent in, and he takes it off, and it, it's it really does capture you know the fact that he is torn at some level, right? Like it, they they illustrated that really well visually, I think, because you have this sort of badass mask, and then he takes it off, and he's got the flowing locks, and you're like, what is this guy? Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Kylo, I could definitely go with, uh, you know. I, 
I feel like the Poe Dameron thing is going to pay uh, is going to play out into something really cool um, yeah. at some point. You know, I I liked Finn a lot in the first one, and then I feel like they just didn't do anything with him. Yeah, I right? lost I lost my interest in him yeah. in this movie. His storyline was really like, oh yeah, we got to put that guy in here too. It really didn't lead to anything, so that was uh, that was pretty disappointing. You yeah, know? you know the thing about Poe, you know that they're they're kind of building up to something with him. Like he's headed somewhere as a leader, and all of the conservative kind of like way out there right wing reviews of this movie, you know, the ones that hated it and thought it was kind of like an SJW pile of, of nonsense thought that this movie lacked male leadership and Poe Dameron, because he did not have a grasp on this movie. Like I think maybe he would have in the last movie, like he did very well in the force awakens that this movie was somehow some sort of like feminist nightmare. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that, Poe Dameron, yeah, he had to learn something in this movie, and then he's going to come back and be bigger, better in the next movie, because you know what? It's a trilogy. It's a story of people developing over time. <laughs> All right, and, and, uh, and that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I think we're gonna have to see when the when the when, where this thing ends up. But I I I didn't like you know the what was essentially the um, the force phone calls uh, between uh, Ray and Kylo. Like I didn't like that as a device, oh, okay. uh, particularly that much. I just you know I don't know. It felt like they you know they basically they just were like well they, we needed to have them talk, but they can't be in the same room. And texting would be boring. What if they open up a force thing <laughs> and they just kind of talk to each other? So that I was mean, literally I, my favorite thing of the movie. Really? I yes. Just that it, it was. I mean, it was just. The, it felt like they needed to have conversations, but they couldn't be near each other. So they just kind of like forced this thing in there. And I guess you find out with the Snoke situation that he was, yeah. uh, you know, responsible for that. I, I'm curious uh, to to get your take on Snoke. What's uh, what? What's going on there? Do you have any? Is there? <laughs> what, is there what is I going like, on? I, like, I need like counseling. What, what's happening with that situation? Who well, is he? Come from? Why is he there? Why is he gone? I don't understand any of it. Well, I think the why is he gone there? So first of all, I probably echo your frustration and I'm trying to now rationalize uh, the disappearance of Snoke and, and trying to make sense of it. Um what I know from the comics and the books that they have set up after The Force Awakens um, and after Return of the Jedi is that the Emperor, when he was still alive, knew of a rising darkness in the outer rim and the outer reaches of the galaxy, that there was something very big, very dark, and very powerful out there that was a threat to his power. And he was sort of taking the Empire out into the deep reaches of the galaxy to find the source of this power. In the books and the comics, we've not yet learned what that is. Um, now you flash ahead to The Force Awakens, you have Snoke on the march, and now in The Last Jedi, you have Snoke dead. So we don't yet know from the extra materials what the Emperor knows about that is out there. We do know that the First Order is founded in the outer reaches of the galaxy where Snoke um, comes from. So I think that there might be something there that like the Emperor knew he was always out there, or he might just be some crony who was part of the Empire mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, can use the force. It turns out he's not really that powerful. Um, he's not that all knowing. He can't sense things going on right around him. Right. And I, it, it seems that this movie, this trilogy, 
is showing a world of fakers. Um, Kylo Ren is a faker, and, Sno- and Snoke calls him out on that, and that's why he gets frustrated and smashes his mask because he calls him a boy wearing a mask. Um, Rey is trying to be a Jedi, and she doesn't really even know what that is. Luke is done um, faking in many ways, is trying to be the mythic hero. And then Snoke is he's revealed to be a farce as well. And it just seems to be that's the consistent thing yeah. in this trilogy is dissecting the the aura of, of myth and legend. And while I'm uncomfortable with it, it is kind of fun. And now that I've wrapped my head around Snoke lying in two pieces on the ground, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to see what this means for Kylo Ren. Yeah. Because I thought he was going to come back to the light as we had discussed on your program. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like it was going that way for a while. And uh, I was thinking of you and your theories. I was like, oh, wow, seems going to be right. Um, I do think of Snoke, though, as, uh, you know, here's this guy. He's supposed to be all powerful. He's got all the power in the world. He's he's the puppet master. He's controlling every situation. And then all of a sudden he's gone and you never think of him again. And that's why I compare him to the Steve Bannon of Star Wars. Because like Bannon, you get this publicity of like this guy who's micro, he's controlling everything in the White House. He's the, he's the superpower puppet master. And then one day he's just gone and you never hear from him again. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that's true with Bannon. Yeah, and I think you are absolutely right there. Um, he is a, he's a media creation, and he has been um, sort of unveiled as a fake, uh, just like Snoke, and cut down by the person he tried to elevate, Kylo Ren. So I'm going to let you go, man. I really appreciate you coming on um, and giving me some of your time this afternoon to uh, talk politics and Star Wars. This was a lot of fun, um, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Anytime, man. That was a lot of fun. Thanks. Lots more Star Wars to come in the future. Stu, thanks so much.